A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast, not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hi, this is Rice Cube. With me is Andy, a.k.a. Behind the Ivy. How are you doing, sir? Good. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, you've been, like, gone for a while. I heard you were, like, buying a house or something. So that's a big next step. Still working through that process. It's a little bit of a nightmare, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Well, it's a big step, and then, like, hopefully, well... I, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing, but maybe you'll have enough to itemize and, you know, take some off your taxes and stuff as you build equity and all that good jazz. Anyway, we're in the deep into spring training. Uh, most of the Cubs that we care about are in decent health. They're producing. They're, you know, just getting their work in. And uh, I thought today we talk a little bit about spring training and also something that you're interested in. Uh, in the NL Central standings or usual predictions, but this year we're going to try to do it as a dream cast. So how's that for a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. It works for me. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrows. So, uh, who are your uh, standout guys for spring training so far for the Cubs? Uh, I don't know that anything really stands out to me. I, I tweeted a while back that, you know, the only results that matter is is everybody healthy. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's mostly true. Uh, Javi Baez had the minor thing with his hamstring. Seems to be no words for the wear, which is good news. Uh, performance-wise, Ian Happ's been pounding the baseball all over the place, but it's hard to gauge because of, you know, just how far ahead hitters usually are of pitchers early in spring and then Arizona being a hitter's paradise. So it's tough to, to really gauge performance. It's just good to see that, you know, things are, are progressing as the spring training should. Everybody's healthy. You know, the pitchers are stretching out. You know, hitters are getting their work in. Nobody's hurt. I'm going to keep hammering away on that. Everybody's healthy thing because that's super important for this Cubs team going into the season. And it'll be important all season long because that really figures to be one of the only things that derails them this year. Yeah, and uh, we're recording right before their night game, or I guess during their night game now. It should have started in Arizona just a few moments ago, and it's the day before their off day, so we might see a few cuts. I know the Dodgers tweeted that they were planning to cut five or six guys tomorrow, and usually an off day is when you would expect some of these cuts. Uh, they've optioned a few guys down that I think will be very valuable. Uh, and Dylan Maples, Mark Zagunas, et cetera, and there's some other guys who obviously weren't going to make the team. I, I think just about everybody who has an option who – isn't going to make the team has already been optioned. So there are no surprises. This is like a, one of those super boring spring trainings where you're just like, well, they're getting in their work, they're healthy. And we pretty much know who's going to make the roster. So really there's not as much to talk about as usual. Yeah. Boring's good. Um, yeah. The 25 man roster is mostly set a uh, little bit on Twitter today about potentially deciding between seven or eight relievers. I think they probably go with an eight-man bullpen. Mm-hmm. But potentially, if they were to to go with seven, that a Peter Burgos might make the roster on the back end. I, I think early on in the season, they'll probably hang on to, to the eighth reliever. Because mm-hmm. even though you have the influx of off days and you have a little bit more time, 
you know, the starting pitchers aren't quite as stretched out. You're going to run through your bullpen a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, keeping the eighth pitcher might might be a little more advantageous early in the season. Um, you know, a lot of the minor league guys that we've been seeing, one of, one guy that, that stuck out in particular is Ryan Court. Seems to be really hitting the ball well. Uh-huh. He, he's not making the team, but he could manage to see some time in the big league roster at some point this season. Yeah, I think uh, they, just as a courtesy, I know the Cubs sometimes do this anyway, but I feel like he's one of the guys that they probably give a cup of coffee to when it comes time for September call. It's kind of like what they did with Taylor Davis. Just, you know, you've done your time. You're a pretty cool guy. We just want to reward you, and I feel like that's going to happen for a guy like Court. Uh, yeah, you know, like last season, it wasn't as true, but in 2015 and 2016, the Cubs had such big leads in September. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in 2015, for the second wild card, they were never really threatened. In 2016, they basically went into spring training mode in September because the lead in the division was so big that that they could they could rest a little bit before the playoffs, and it seemed to do them some good. Uh, Depending on how this season breaks down, we might see some more of that where some of the the fringy type 40-man roster guys get call-ups and get some some playing time. And you know, we'll see how the season shakes out. We're a long way from, from September call-ups in the middle of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I know this uh... – we we had talked about this on the last streamcast, but uh, it was kind of inevitable, I guess, that uh, Justin Grimm was released, and they they waited past the past the one sixth deadline so that they, he could get one quarter of his uh, salary, and I guess that was kind of nice. Uh, but you know it. I thought they, that they would keep Grimm because he, he was out of options, but apparently, like, because he was giving up homers and he had no command, that they just decided, you know what, it's time to cut bait. And, you know, it was one of those inexpensive enough deals. But now my smart money is on Eddie Butler getting that eighth spot because I don't think they want to lose him for nothing. And I also feel like because he, he has no options and he's – he's shown uh, signs of being a decent enough pitcher as a reliever that he might make sense as a backup a long man for Mike Montgomery. So now you have two long men, one from each side of the plate. Yeah, Eddie Butler is still a, a high pedigree kind of guy, good stuff. And, you know, this spring he appears to have made some progress. Again, kind of early, not really worth discussing his results, but he, he's a good player, and you know, with him and Justin Grimm both being out of options, it made it a difficult choice. Justin Grimm costs a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He caught on quickly. He signed with the Royals one year. Uh, I think the problem with Justin Grimm is, like, we've seen him go in, you know, since 2015 when he was so good. Uh, we've seen him go in streaks where he'd have four or five weeks of very, very good, and then he'd have, you know, three or four weeks of a very, very bad, and you just couldn't get that consistent balance from him. I know in 2016, like, the numbers weren't great, but, you know, his numbers were tainted by about a six- or a seven-week stretch of time where the numbers were, were horrendous, and then last yeah. year he had he had runs where he was really good and runs where he was really bad. So I, I understand why they tendered him, why they went to arbitration, why they were, were willing to give him a shot this spring to see if things were were put back together. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't know how much the results factored in versus what they saw, what they felt like they could fix, or you know, Justin Grimm was just a victim of there are too many guys competing for this bullpen and he just wasn't gonna fit anymore without that consistent performance. Right. And it, it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, 
Like, like you said, there are too many guys, and that's just like a wonderful problem to have. Like a lot of the guys that could fit into that spot have already been optioned, and we've already uh, talked about the concept of a taxi squad because at some point there's going to be a doubleheader, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be guys that are tired, and you're going to need to shuttle guys back and forth. And having at least five guys that can count to like fill in as a bullpen guy like right off the 40-man roster is a luxury that I don't think a lot of teams have. And it's kind of cool that the Cubs said, hey, we're going to work on our pitching. We're going to work on uh, setting up depth in both the rotation and the bullpen. And they actually went and did it. And it's like legitimate. And it, like there's, there's really nothing we can really complain about. They've covered as many contingencies as they possibly can given roster constraints and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I think I think they've done a pretty good job of reworking the bullpen both of the last two off seasons. Before after the World Series, you know, uh, Trope had gotten hurt, Hector Rondon had gotten hurt, Justin Grimm was inconsistent. They really relied completely on Mike Montgomery, uh, Carl Edwards to a much lesser extent, and Aroldis Chapman. So last off season they sought to deepen it. They got a whole bunch of guys. They went out and they acquired Wade Davis. They added Koji Uehara. They they sought to really make that bullpen deep, and they did it. Now Koji Uehara got hurt, and he was one of their consistent strike throwers. And a lot of their the other guys they had were stuff guys, which unfortunately sometimes leads to high walk rates. And that's what we saw late in the season. Mm-hmm. especially in the playoffs. So this year, uh, they stuck with the concept of depth, but they got strike throwers. Like like Brandon Morrow's got great stuff, but he also throws a lot of strikes. Same with Steve Ciszek. Uh Not not quite the stuff, but lots of strikes. And that's that's important when you still have the, the Mike Montgomery's who tend to walk a few, or especially Carl Edwards, who, who's going to walk probably four per nine innings. Hmm. they've got that good balance of great, great stuff and guys that can can pump strikes. Yeah. Let's turn towards the position player side. Uh, I believe because they won't bring in the, uh, the fifth outfielder, considering that I, I can count at least seven guys who could conceivably play at least the corner outfield positions, four guys who can play center, including Chris Bryant. So they really don't need another outfielder, so they will just take the the reliever. Uh, let's let's talk about the backup catcher though. Like I Victor Caratini hasn't been optioned yet. Chris Jimenez is not on the roster. He's non roster invitee on a minor league deal. So I think the smart money is on Jimenez being the backup catcher because he's not expected to play much with Wilson Contreras basically, you know, being the spark plug that he is. He wants to play like 140 games, which is kind of ridiculous for a catcher. But, you know, that's that's what he wants to do, and that's what the Cubs think they can do. So it sounds like they'll put Victor Caratini in Iowa and let him play every day and develop and let Jimenez be the backup at the big league level. What do you think? Yeah, I tend I tend to agree with that. That Jimenez or Jimenez, I'm not even sure how how his name gets said because listening yeah. to spring training broadcasts, I think every different team that I've seen says it a little bit different. Yeah, baseball uh, reference officially suggests it is Jimenez, so I'm going to go with that. Pronunciation notwithstanding, I think he's kind of the right fit. He's mm-hmm. a veteran guy. He's a clubhouse guy. He knows how to handle a pitching staff. He's pretty good behind the plate. You know, he's he is what you think of as a backup catcher, and that's important to have. I think we saw that with David Ross, and it's against adding David Ross as I was when the Cubs signed him. I think that Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer being smarter than I am understood the value of that veteran calming presence to a clubhouse mm-hmm. that David Ross provided that I think they could see a little bit in Jimenez. Yeah. Uh, Victor Victor Caratini still got some work to do behind the plate. He can hit, 
he's a really good hitter. He will be up this year. He'll get some time. He'll probably make some starts at first base in place of Anthony Rizzo to give him some time off. But I think the lion's share of the backup catcher starts are going to go to Jimenez. And that's probably about right. And you know, we do expect Wilson Contreras to play probably maybe 140 games is a little optimistic or much. But I I wouldn't be surprised if it was in that 130 range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like they're not as keen on bringing up three catchers like they used to do when it was like Ross Montero and Willie or Ross Montero and Wellington Castillo. Uh, so it's, it's just going to be two catchers this time around, and I feel like, yeah, that that seems about right. Uh, and the additional benefit, I guess, of having a solid defensive catcher is now you have a on on the team, on the roster mentor for Wilson, help him, like, frame a little better as long as we have no, you know, good uh, robot umpires or anything. He's got to learn to frame a little better. Like, you know, his arm's okay. He's a solid defensive catcher. He just needs to help his pitchers some with the strikes, the edge of the strike zone. And I feel like Jimenez is probably a good good guy for that. Well, the Cubs coaching staff is good for that. They tried to Mm -hmm. alter what Wilson Contreras did a little bit last year, and I think everybody's acknowledged, you know, it didn't work how we thought it was going to work. So we're going to go back to what it looked like two years ago when, you know, as a receiver, he was he wasn't great. He wasn't blowing the world away, but he was all right, and he could get the job done. Right. I think the final thing, because uh, we are going to do a Cubs-centric podcast uh, for later on before we head to the rest of the NL Central, uh, leadoff hitter. I feel like, like just just a moment ago, uh, the two guys that you would expect to lead off in Alfred Elmora and in have combined for the first Cubs run of the game. Uh, I think that's a pretty good platoon, right? So if you want Ian Happ to lead off for the most part, and then every now and then he's got a rest or, you know, there's a lefty lefty pitcher that, you know, Albert can smash, they, they could trade off. And those are the two most likely leadoff candidates for me. I don't think – They'll use Zobrist as much as people think, and I also don't think they would ever let Jason Hayward lead off. I I think we're going to see a committee. I think, you know, we'll see Hap when he starts. I think we'll see some Elmora, especially against some lefties, because Albert Elmora showed last year that he can can really control the strike zone and and be a very productive hitter against left-handed pitching. Ben Zobra is transitioning back to a super utility role. He's not going to start every day, but he'll start, and he'll get some opportunities to play probably between 90 and 110 games, somewhere in that ballpark, and he'll probably lead off a fair amount. Uh, Depending on what we see from Jason Hayward, if his bat comes back around to what it was before he joined the Cubs, he could absolutely get some starts as a leadoff hitter. Uh, I I wouldn't put anything past Joe Madden in terms of trying to find a guy to to start it off, you know, whether it be a Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo, Wil- Wilson Contreras let off. I think we're probably going to see a mix of different guys and different combinations of lineups, and I expect every single one of them to produce the Cubs some runs because there's so much talent and there's so many good hitters in the lineup that it doesn't necessarily matter who hits where, they're going to score runs. Mm-hmm. Could it be our hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of these ghosts of shame? In an alteration from years past, where each individual team would get a written blog about their outlook for the season this year we've decided to meld the rest of the division into one podcast where we can we can talk about how each of the individual teams play off each other and as it relates to the cubs with 
a standings mixed into the conversation. This year, I have the Pirates finishing last. Hmm. With a 70 and 92 record, the Reds at 72 and 90, and then the Cardinals and Brewers finishing a couple of games above 500 each. The Brewers at 84, the Cardinals at 83, somewhere in that range, and then the Cubs winning about 96 games. Hmm. So, how how close are you your personal projections to what's already been put out for like? Dakota and Zips and all that stuff? I don't think they're too far off. I know that there was the over-under on National League win totals released uh, over this last weekend. And I think think what I projected as I kind of went through it last week, you know, falls relatively in line with, with a lot of those numbers. I think I probably projected the division to be more spread out. As I as I have it, the Cubs with a 96 and 66 record, and the Brewers finishing second at 84 and 78. I think a lot of people expect the Cardinals to be in a hunt for a second wild card. I'm not so sure. Um, I think the Brewers will be aren't they're improved, but I think they'll take a step back because a lot of the players that they had make breakouts last season you can't expect that to be sustained. Hmm. So I think the division will be a little more of a, a spread out affair between, you know, first and then the next two. And then the bottom two, the reds probably coming out of their rebuild a little bit. And the pirates actually probably digging deeper into theirs. Mm-hmm. So uh wild card wise, if they're, if you you've got the Brewers winning 84 and the Cards winning 83, that seems like neither of those guys are going to win the wild card, and you would expect the wild card to come from one of the NL West teams, like in Arizona and Colorado, who have tried to improve or at least are getting like some guys back. Like I think Arizona is going to get a full season of AJ Pollock back, so that's obviously good for them. And Colorado just you know signed a Super Bowl pen. So I, I'm imagining that the only NL Central uh, representative will be the Cubs. Yeah, that's kind of the way I see it. I don't think either of them are a wild card necessarily. I think if I were going to pick the the standings for the playoffs, I would say that the Dodgers probably win the West, the Cubs win the Central the Nationals win the East, and then the wild cards would be Arizona and the San Francisco Giants. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that, too. Yeah, because uh, going back to the Pirates, who traded Kutch and Garrett Cole, Kutch is now with the Giants, so, like, if he hits anywhere close to, you know, an average player or even slightly above average, which I think he, he should still be, then they obviously have an out- upgrade in the outfield over whatever it was they ran out there last year. Yeah, and the the infield in San Francisco is actually pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, they added Evan Longoria at third base. Madison Bumgarner stays healthy. You know, they they could be. I th- I think San Francisco still got some bullpen issues. I'm not I'm not sure that they're going to be tight with the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers. I think both those teams win over 90 games. I think the Giants probably win between 86 and 88, somewhere in that ballpark. Mm -hmm. But that's probably good enough for a wild card because I don't think the Brewers and the Cardinals are quite at that level. And apart from the Nationals in the NL East, nobody there looks to be at that level either. Like uh, the Phillies did sign Jake Arrieta, and they're an up-and-coming team. I'm wondering if there's there's any way they can sneak into the conversation. A lot of really, really good things would have to happen for that to happen, I think. Yeah, I think Jake Arrieta would have to be be a resurgent 2015 like Jake Arrieta, and Aaron Nola would probably have to take another step to being a legitimate ace pitcher for that to happen. But never say never. 
never say never in baseball because crazy stuff happens. I'm just not sure that that really anybody in the NL East is a threat for a playoff position outside of the Nationals. Yeah. The Brewers and Cardinals are, I mean, they're in the conversation, 84 wins, 83 wins. If things break right, if Eric Sogard becomes Ted Williams again this year, <laughs> all things all things are possible. Yeah. So let's get back to the NL Central, and I'll let you lead us off. Uh, you said the Pirates are going to win just 70 games. Obviously, that's not enough to be, like, the worst of the worst because I imagine teams like the Marlins and maybe even the Rays would could potentially be worse uh, given their sell-offs. Maybe not the Rays because they still got a pretty good, uh, you know, group of young talent, but the Marlins basically just got – stripped to the nubs, right? But uh, that's part part of the Pirates that always bugged me because they have a beautiful ballpark. They have a fan base that I imagine still cares about baseball, and yet they never want to spend. They don't want to sustain their talent. They're just kind of there perpetually rebuilding, and it doesn't make sense to me. They had that run where they were they were super competitive. If you remember back in 2015, they had the second-best record in baseball, yeah. Unfortunately, the top three records in baseball were the Cardinals, Pirates, and Cubs. Yeah. So they ended up in the wild card again. I, I do think there's a culture problem in Pittsburgh because it's not – even though they, they traded Garrett Cole, they traded Andrew McCutcheon, there's still talent there. Josh mm-hmm. Harrison's a good player. Mm-hmm. Charlie Martinez is a good player. Jamison Tyone is a good pitcher. There are still good players in Pittsburgh, and – that bullpen has still got some good pieces in it. So to to look at all of that and say they're probably only going to win 70 games or in my estimation are only going to win 70 games, it, it comes from two things. One, they're not done selling off. Mm-hmm. Starling Marquette gets off to a good start. He's probably on the block. Josh Harrison is already in trade rumors. We could – potentially see some things happen with guys like Gregory Polanco who haven't panned out if their prospect rankings say they probably should have, you know, maybe they look to trade a Josh Bell. Hmm. It, I don't know that that's necessarily likely, but it's a, it's a possibility. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, in a way, it's kind of lucky that all these teams in the NL Central seem to be either stagnant or not going all the way. Like, you could argue that Milwaukee's going all the way, but the Cardinals probably could have done more. Uh, the Reds obviously could have done more, but they're rebuilding, and the Pirates are doing the same. So having at least two doormats to beat up on is probably good on the Cubs because they get to play them 19 times each. Uh is there any other things about the Pirates that maybe should scare Cubs fans, though? Because, like, you, you can't assume that they're going to go 19-0 and even against Dormant. No, I think the Cubs had their best record in the division last year against St. Louis. They went 14-5. and So, you know, if you win, if you win 11, 12 games against your division, against each of your division teams, you're having a really good year. You go eleven and eight, twelve and seven against the division team. That's a really good year. So they're going to lose some games to these teams. Familiarity, um, you know, just the attrition of a baseball season where you're going to lose games no matter what. You know, somebody gets hot on the mound, or you know, somebody has a huge game at the plate, and it's just more than what you're able to put up as a team that day. You know, those things happen over the course of a long season, but. In general, I wouldn't expect the Cubs to finish worse than maybe 11-8 and eight against the Pirates team and wouldn't be surprised if they finished in that 14 or 15 win range against either the Reds or the Pirates. Right. Yeah. Speaking of the Reds, uh, this is kind of fun, but uh, like, we t- said earlier in the podcast, uh, Ian Happ and Elmer Moore combined for a run. John Lester uh, just singled in a run, so they're all 
already, in a way, beating up on the Reds in spring training, and that's another 19 games that you would think would be easy, but they, of course, still have Joey Votto, and they just signed a Eugenio, that's how Hughes says it, uh, Suarez to an extension. So they got some talent and, and some thumpers in that lineup still, even if the pitching is pure crap. Yeah. Eugenio Suarez was really good last year. I mean, it it's hard to notice those things on a small market rebuilding team that has Joey Votto on it, but Eugenio Suarez was a good baseball player last year. Uh, Joey Votto is MVP caliber. I know last year I mused about the potential for a Joey Votto trade. I actually don't see that as possible right now with the way teams are are staying so luxury tax focused. His contract kind of makes him untradeable. So mm-hmm. he's going to be there through the rebuild and potentially into any period of contention that they may get back. Yeah. All right. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot on the Reds to be afraid of. Nick Senzel is a young player who could turn out or turn up in the major leagues this year. I know last year I I was kind of high on Jesse Winker, who's an outfielder. Scooter Jeanette with four home runs against the Cardinals. That was entertaining and hilarious. And he has the potential to do that on any given night. Uh Devin Mazzaracco and Tucker Barnhart might be the best catching duo in the division. Unfortunately, neither of them have had great luck with health. Yeah. Didn't uh, Barnhart win the gold glove this past year? Or was that was that somebody else? I, I feel like he won he was the one who won the gold glove for defense this year. He might have. I'd have to go back and look. I actually don't even remember. Yeah. I feel like he was at least the finalist, if not the winner. So, like, you know that their catching is good. Yeah, he's an excellent catcher. So, Yeah, and Mazzarocco obviously has thumps. So, you know, that, that's got to be annoying for Cubs pitching, like even with the rotation and the bullpen that they've built up. Yeah, and the Great American Ballpark is a nightmare to pitch in because it's so small and it's so – you can give up average contact and it goes to the wall or to the bleachers. And it's a little bit of a frustration for, for pitchers of any make. Mm. Yeah. Tucker Barnhart did in fact, win the gold glove last year. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I do remember that Yadier Molina didn't win it because the best fans had a, had a little bit of a fit. <laughs> yeah. So let let's consider this. Are there any uh because I, I believe there are some late series uh late season series against both the Pirates and the Reds, like uh, a lot of a lot of the end of season series are division heavy. Uh are there any veterans not named Joey Votto that they could potentially trade to keep, you know, boosting that farm. The Reds? Well, yes. Uh, I think we've heard a little bit more of Billy Hamilton's name coming up in some of these trade discussions. I think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I could see, I could see them going to a, a Devin Mesoraco or Tucker Barnhart and discussing moving them. Uh, Scooter Jeanette is a possibility to get traded to a contending team that needs a, needs a lefty bat you know, later in the season, potentially Adam Duvall or Scott Schebler. Um, on the pitching side, if Homer Bailey has a resurgent year, there's a possibility that that could turn into a, a serviceable trade piece. I'm not sure you know what else they could they could really move. They they're so far down on their their rebuild to where the veterans have gone mm-hmm. that there isn't a lot left to move on from. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I just say that because I imagine they'll try to do a couple of, like, you know, Hail Mary trades in order to just get whatever they can for, you know, their veteran contracts and whatnot. Uh, how long do you think it'll take before the Reds are competitive again? Because I don't think they've been competitive since Dusty left. Um, you know, depending on, on how their prospects pan out and and anything they may acquire via trade or or anything they may sign. You know, it's probably going to be a couple of more years. I don't think they're they're particularly close at this point. Yeah. So, in, in that case, like just waiting for them to trade some guys off so the Cubs can beat them up even more in the late part of the season. I, I'm saying this with as much hubris as I can. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, it, it's hard not to be confident in, in the top team, but we got to save that for the next podcast. Let's uh, keep moving. You said the Cardinals were your number three team for for 2018 season. Yeah. Um, it looks pretty close to the same as it did last year. They made the notable addition of Marcelo Zuna, who is outstanding. Um you know, Tommy Pham coming off the great year, he should get the bulk of his starts in center field. I think Dexter Fowler is pretty well set, moved to right field. I'm just not sold that they did a lot of, of positive to upgrade their lineup. Uh, Paul DeYoung, I think they just extended him. Mm-hmm. He's a guy... You know he hit he hit well, but he didn't hit at all if you didn't throw him strikes. He doesn't walk, and he he goes up swinging. I think we're going to see a big regression from him this year. Colton Wong, we've been waiting for him to make that step forward for what seems like forever. Yeah. I don't know how much, I don't know how much more picks he does. They have to sprinkle on Jed Jerko to make him a five-win player. Yeah. I'm not overwhelmingly concerned with this Cardinals lineup. I'm just not. Yadi Molina can't continue to to be even a serviceable producer at his age when trying to play 130 or 140 games. Father time catches everybody. It's been it's been pretty well caught up to, to Yadi for a few years. Is this the last year of his contract? I know he signed that five year extension. I forgot if they extended it again or if this is it. From a leader, I think he's yeah. got I think he's got a couple more years. Oh, okay. But, uh, on the pitching on the pitching side, uh Alex Reyes should be coming back from Tommy John surgery. But you know, Michael Walker's been up and down. Adam Wainwright, he has made that pretty steady decline. Right. Again, not, like it's not bad. You look, you look at the Cardinals lineup, it's not bad. You look at the Cardinals pitching staff, it's not bad. But it's but, not but yeah. it's not great. It's not scary. It doesn't scare you. They're they're a good team. They're not a they're not a contending type team, but they're they're a good team. They'll win games. Yeah. yeah I, I just thought it was interesting how all the guys that, you know, uh, they used to tout as top prospects like Piscotti and and Grichik and Lemus Diaz, uh, they've all been traded away. Uh, they also, for whatever reason, you know, they either traded or not signed Matt Adams. They could have made a play for Jake Arrieta. They could have made a play for Alex Cobb and even, you know, brought Lance Lynn back for, for cheap, but they decided not to. And I'm not entirely sure what the strategy is right now because, like you said, they're not a terrible team, but now they're just kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah, it, it feels like they've been stuck in the middle since 2015 when they won 100 games. I'm not sure anybody thought that team was that 
good. I don't think anybody thought the 2015 Cardinals were 100 wins good. Hmm. I think they they got some good results, and they obviously led to a division championship, but that team lost three games to one in the NLDS. Right. They haven't been back to the playoffs since. Yeah. Since then, they've been older. They made the attempt to re-sign Jason Hayward. He left for less money. They tried to sign James Shields. He wasn't interested. It didn't seem like even Dexter Fowler wanted to go to St. Louis until they gave him a massive overpaid contract mm-hmm. to get him in town. Yeah. And last year, last year, I think they came to the realization, like, he's not – 2016 Dexter Fowler all the time. Dexter Fowler had a career year in 2016, and it paid off. Yeah. And I think the Cardinals thought he was going to be that again. Mm-hmm. They thought he could do something resembling that again, and he just isn't. That's not who Dexter Fowler was. I think they wanted speed at the top of their lineup. That's not who Dexter Fowler is. He's not, He's not, and he's never really been a big stolen base guy. Yeah, I feel like for his benefit and also for ours, since we still love love him, they should kind of they they should consider trading him too. And it's kind of weird how they traded away all that talent, or you know, I, I guess you could argue lack thereof. Now that uh, some of them have had their inconsistencies, and that's part of the reason they were traded. But then they brought in Marcelo Zuna, and you're like, okay, they're trying to contend. This is scary. All right, and. Then they did nothing, and it, it the plan doesn't make sense to me. It, it just does not. I'm not sure how much they have to sell in St. Louis right now. I don't think teams look at the past. The right. Cardinals are a historically great franchise, but their recent past, you know, really since their last World Series appearance, hasn't been it hasn't been that great. So when you look, you know they don't have this this bevy of high impact, huge name prospects like the Cubs had when they got John Lester to sign. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't have this run of very recent success of you know twenty you know twenty fifteen they lose in the NLDS sixteen seventeen they don't make the playoffs. It's hard to sell. Hey, we're we're going to contend for championships every single year when for the last, well, at least the last couple of years, they haven't contended for a championship. Hmm. What about the state of the farm system? Because one of the things about the Cardinals is that they always have some weird, like random white guy who comes up and just hits like, you know, a Jim Edmonds or, you know, uh, just name your favorite uh, Hall of Famer. Uh, that goes into the pixie dust or devil magic that they have, but uh, I guess it's not as potent as it used to be because the Cubs stole some of that thunder. Well, it used to be the the player development machine in St. Louis was unparalleled. And the reason they'd have the guy that you'd never heard of and couldn't have picked out of a lineup, you know, they, they call up an org guy from – from double A and he hit 290 over 75 games in the second half of the season is because their player development machine was so good and their organizational philosophy from, from the day that the guy signed to the day that he appeared in the big leagues, it was exactly the same. There was a plan. It hasn't produced like it used to, you know, they haven't been able to augment their acquisitions with, with the great talent that they used to or that we're used to seeing. So now they're they're in a position where they're trying to acquire some of those guys and kind of make them at the big league level. And I think you see a little of that with Jed Jerko, who came with some traits, and now he's what people expected him to be in St. Louis or going out and acquiring a Dexter Fowler or trading for a Marcelo Zuna, who if the Cardinals had been recently who they were historically, probably would have never been acquired because they would have a Randall Gritchick. I'm not sure how the Stephen Biscotti thing would have went 
because mm-hmm. his trade his trade was a totally different situation where he was sent back to Oakland to be near a sick family member. I believe it's his mother. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's a totally different situation. But you know, if Randall Gritchick turns into what people expected Randall Gritchick to be when he was drafted or when he was acquired by the Cardinals. You know, we probably don't see some of the the moves that they've made. We don't see them go out and sign a Dexter Fowler for for a massive amount of money or right. to acquire a Marcelo Zuna. I believe they did bolster their bullpen uh, with a couple of signings, though, right? Uh, who, who was one of them? One of them was definitely uh... – crap, I, I can't – I can't even remember because I haven't paid attention to the Cardinals. They they signed a couple of fairly good bullpen guys, I recall. Well, I believe the the notable addition they made was Mild Mikolas. Uh-huh. Luke Gregerson, that's who it was. They, they signed Gregerson, right? They added Luke Gregerson. I believe he's going to be their closer. Which that makes sense. I'm, as a Cubs fan, I'm totally in on <laughs> give, me, give me Luke Gregerson closing all day. I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, you want to say what? You know, otherwise, you know, you look at you look at the rotation. Carlos Martinez came into his own. He was he was really good last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Weaver, he's a young guy. We'll probably see quite a bit of him this year. Uh, Alex Reyes could return. You know, who knows what we get from Michael Walker? I don't think we ever see. The Michael Walker we saw five years ago when, when he he kind of burst onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Mott is back with the Cardinals. I think he signed a minor league deal a couple weeks ago. Uh, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if he'll make the team, but that should, that, that could be interesting. Like he used to be their closer, obviously, and then I guess he either got too wild or he just doesn't have the velocity anymore. Well, he he had Tommy John surgery. I just don't think he ever really came back from it with the mm. Cardinals. And then, you know, he spent 2015 with the Cubs, and he was he was all right. Right. But yeah, like as you as you pointed out, they made they made some additions, but like Luke Gregerson, the you know nothing. You know, I'm looking at at their their pitching depth chart, and nothing here really. It's not scary. Um, Dominic Leone is a guy who probably flashed or will be flashed out of the the back of their bullpen some. Um, Tyler Lyons, Lyons, Brett Cecil, who they're still paying an ungodly amount of money for, for whatever reason. I didn't think he was worth the contract they gave him. It feels like they really had to overpay to get guys to come, and when they've overpaid those guys, they haven't lived up to the contracts they've been given. Right. Which, um, which based on their past, you know, you should expect. Yeah. And you had uh, also mentioned Alex Reyes, who's coming back from Tommy John. My read on him is that he's probably not going to come back until, like, May or June, and even when he comes back, he'd be, like, in relief or a spot starter at the most. So you can't expect as much from him this year, but maybe next year. Yeah. I mean, he, he'll be an important piece, especially if he turns into a, to a reliever in the back half of the season. Mm-hmm. Like he could, he could add some real value to that bullpen. And frankly, it kind of needs it. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I guess we can move up north to the second-place team. Like, I guess uh, that's within the margin of error, so it could be the Cardinals second or the Brewers second, right? Uh, yeah, I could kind of see these teams. 
I see them kind of in the same general area. The the market difference I see between the Cardinals and the Brewers is the lineup. You know, the Brewers are going to run out some legit hitting, uh, going and acquiring Kristen Yelich, also from the Marlins, signing Lorenzo Cain about an hour later. Travis Shaw probably isn't going to be what he was last year where he was he was such a great hitter for most of the year. Uh, Domingo Santana had a career year. You know, we probably don't see Eric Sogard hit like he hit. Jonathan VR, after a great 2016, really didn't have a have a very remarkable 2017, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Uh, Stephen Vogt gave them some good innings behind the plate after he was claimed from the A's last year. But now I think he's hurt, right? He's got that shoulder capsule problem? Or was that somebody else? I'm not sure. I haven't heard about any Stephen Vogt injuries, but, you know, they got they got more production out of something called Jet Bandy last year than anybody <laughs> could imagine. And, you know, Manny Pena, I think, I think he was what crawled out of Martin Maldonado's gym bag before he went to Anaheim because they they basically look and play like the same guy. Yeah. You know, Eric Thames is still there, but if they're looking to give Ryan Braun innings at first base, they obviously don't see a ton of value in his bat after yeah. a after a torrid start last year. You know, now we've just got decent hitter with good power. Yeah, so I, I think uh, based on what's happened in spring training so far, Brian Braun still showed that he is a very dangerous hitter. The first base experiment, like, you know, I, I guess it's harder for him than, than he thought, but then again, like, he was never that good of a defender to begin with, so that could be interesting. I did look it up. Uh, Stephen Vogt has a shoulder problem and is expected to start the season on the disabled list, so it'll be Jet Dandy plus whoever else. Manny Pena. That's oh, okay. So Manny yeah. Pena, I think, is supposed to be the primary catcher, and then Bandy will be the backup then. Uh, yeah, that that sounds right, although I'm not sure it actually matters. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so they they got some interesting issues. Like I thought that the Brewers would try harder to contend. Like obviously they got Yelich and they got Kane as a free agent, so they coughed up that draft pick. And you would expect that they would try what the Twins basically did. They they signed a couple of guys for, on the cheap. Uh, they did the Lance Lynn thing, and, you know, obviously they had to get up top of the pick for that because Lance Lynn was a QO free agent. But this was something that the Brewers could have done too, you know, and yep. they didn't. They, they're not signing any pitching. They basically have, like, Giovanni Gallardo and somebody else, and they're patching it up. Like, uh, I, I think Zach Davies is starting a home opener against the Cubs in Milwaukee. I don't recall who was actually their opening day starter and I think Jimmy Nelson is still uh, kind of uh, on the mend so he's not in the rotation to start so it sounds like they're just waiting it out and trying to see if you know guys can come back healthy and they could stay afloat instead of you know dropping the dimes on uh, on Alex Cobb etc. Yeah, I, I kind of think that the Brewers' lineup is ahead of the Cardinals, but their pitching staff is behind the Cardinals, and the net the net means they're pretty close to to on top of each other. Zach Davies and Chase Anderson had pretty good years last year and probably have decent years again this year, but they're not top of the line starters. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Nelson is still injured; he's not going to be back probably until mid season. Uh, beyond beyond that, they've got a mix of Brent Suter. Uh, they signed Jalice Chassin. Oh, yeah. They added, they added Wade Miley for some un... un I, I can't explain why in the world a Major League Baseball team would add a Wade Miley to potentially put in their starting rotation when they have any designs on being competitive. Yeah. They have no... 
I have no explanation for that. But again, as a Cubs fan, give me that lefty junk baller because I think he's the guy that the Cubs score or hit for like nine runs when they visited Baltimore last year. Yeah. And uh, the back of the bullpen is still pretty good. Uh, you have, like, Hayter, right? And also Corey Knable. So you don't want to go into the late innings losing, for sure. But at the same time, like, if the starters can't give them innings, you're never going to get to those guys anyway. So more power to you, right? Yeah, the back of their bullpen looks pretty solid. We'll see what we'll see what Corey Knable is this year. He. He had a little bit of an issue with walks last year. Big power strikeout guy. But, you know, like the Cubs, had, had issues with walks now and then. Uh, Hater is Hater turned into a really good lefty reliever for him last year. Uh, Jacob Barnes turned out some valuable innings for him last year. Mm-hmm. They, re- they reacquired Jeremy Jeffress for the 17th time at some point last year. Uh, Junior Guerra... He might bounce between their rotation, their bullpen, and AAA. Um, they they added Boone Logan. They've got Matt Alberts. So, yeah, the bullpen, uh, Brandon Woodruff, deserves to mention. They added some decent pieces to their bullpen. Their bullpen's probably better than the Cardinals. Their starting yeah. rotation is a mess. Yeah. They've got, they've got guys who are, at best, four and five starters, and – they're mixing in guys that have no business being anywhere near a starting rotation on a team with any designs on competing. And that's going to hurt. Like, even though, even though this game has become more bullpen centric and, you know, starting pitching going 200 innings isn't what it used to be. Like you still got to run out a guy that guy can get you 15 to 18 outs. You need somebody to go five to six innings and, as it looks now, starting the season, they've got Davies and Anderson and nobody else that I trust to get there. Yeah. I get that they are trying to contend for the wild card because the Cubs are just so much better on paper. Like, we are confident as, you know, bloggers and just random guys in the streets. The Cubs themselves are confident as players and staff and the GMs have, have said. Uh, you know, like, obviously you can't look too far ahead you still got to play the games but it's hard not to feel good and you know talking about this with you it's just like wow Uh, they could have done so much more but they're they're trying to condemn for the wild card they're probably not going to make it and then you wonder why like why do that because now your pick is a little lower like if you're going to tank just full-on tank right and that's the problem with a lot of the teams in MLB right now. It seems like two-thirds of them just don't care about winning. And that's, I, that's kind of bad. I'm not sure that the Brewers could necessarily go out and sign a Jake Arrieta, even at the contract that he signed. I'm just not sure that that's a team with the revenue to afford that type of deal mm. or to, to be willing to afford it because – I saw an article a few days ago, I think from Baseball America, where it talked about the two vastly different approaches the Brewers took as a small market team and the Pirates took this year. Mm-hmm. Yet on opening on opening day, the payroll for the Brewers is going to be around $83 million, and for the Pirates, it's going to be 77 and Then mm-hmm. last year, the Brewers had like a $60 million payroll, and half of that was Ryan Braun and Matt Garza. Right. Now they don't have to play pay Garza anymore, which is probably why they could afford to pay Kane. Yeah, uh, I mean they're not paying anybody. They're still they're still in that bottom tier of payroll. Seventy seven million dollars is is very very low for for a major league baseball team, especially one that got fifty millions on the advanced media sale, and they're a revenue sharing receiving club, so. You would think that the Brewers would be able to spend more money or would be willing to spend more money. I think some of that was was driven by their new general manager. Mm-hmm. I guess not terribly new anymore. I think he's smart enough to understand that yesterday or yet or last year was a little bit of a fool's errand where they got to the last weekend of the season where they were still technically in contention for a playoff spot. I think he understands that that's not necessarily 
you know, where they're at. And uh-huh. I mean, David, David Stearns comes from the the Jeff Luno tree, where where they kind of understand the analytics and and trends and regressions. And I think he he might see the regression on the wall. Uh-huh. I'll understand that he's got a lot of young players that are ready to come up and contribute. So if you can augment that with a Yelich who's going to be around for five years, he's not a rental flip type guy. And a Lorenzo Cain, who's kind of the same thing, you can hasten your process a little bit. Maybe they're not right there, but they're getting closer. Yeah. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you Now that we've had a chance to talk about the NL Central, I think we'll tell our listeners that uh, we'll do one just based on the Cubs later on this week. Hopefully there are a couple more news bits and more concrete roster moves that will give us a clue as to the final roster, but I think we pretty much know what the final roster will be. what I really wish is that uh, they would show more of these spring training games on TV. And uh, I don't know why they don't, because there, there's a demand for it. There's going to be a market for it. They should just do it. Yeah, I, I've caught a few. I think I've caught more on the opposing team's broadcast, which makes sense that mm-hmm. they would show games against the Cubs. You know, I wish I wish there would be a little more Lennon JD this spring, but I caught them on Saturday and Sunday in their broadcast from Vegas, so yeah, scratching the itch a little bit. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like if the Cubs are going to go to their whatever they decide to do after 2019 when all the contracts expire and they could do their thing, like they should set up a streaming service. And I feel like hopefully by that point I'll be out of debt enough to pay for something like that. Like, you know, $10, $15 a month, I, I would give you my money, you know, and and just give me some content that I could watch at, on my, my own time. I, I'm i not sure that's going to happen just with the nature of, mm-hmm. you know, the way MLB. Got TV. Yeah. Streaming rights with MLB TV. It would be I mean, it would ultimately be nice to see more games if the game was more accessible mm-hmm. for a lower cost. Because ultimately, I think that's one of the problems that baseball has. They're not drawing younger fans because nobody can really find the product. Yeah, I think that's, that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, we could probably deal with that next time. Uh, just want to thank you for giving us the spiel on the also Rams, as it were, uh, pretty much gives you a good feeling as a Cubs fan that, you know, unless something catastrophic happens, and maybe I shouldn't have said that, but, you know, I don't control as much as people think, so don't worry about it. Uh, It just feels good to be a Cubs fan right now because they're so good on paper, and they, they are legitimately good when you watch them play. And so, yeah, like, that, that's wonderful. Uh, you, you can find Andy on Twitter at? I am at, at behind underscore the underscore Ivy on Twitter. Yeah, and, yeah, like, whenever you find time, just feel free to write something because it's been all me on the blog for the past two months because, uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess everybody's busy, and I'm busy too. So, like, now that we're very, very close to opening day, I feel like there's going to be more content and there will be a lot to talk about. So it will be an exciting time for us on WorldSeriesDreaming.com. You can find us on Facebook and at Twitter at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. Could use some emails, so please email us at WorldSeriesDreaming at gmail.com. Please to... Uh, rate us on iTunes so more people can find us. Like I, I guess for a small nickel and dime outfit like this we get pretty decent download numbers, but you know, always could use a few more. Uh yeah, that's pretty much it. I'd like to thank Richiana for our theme song and Randall Sanders for the final out call from Pat Hughes. And any last
last words from you, sir. No, I look forward to talking about the Cubs later on this week. Yeah. All the conversation about the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Reds and the Pirates, I'm ready to talk about the team that we care about. Yeah. So that'll be later on this week. Uh, Hopefully this will drop on the off day and then uh, you guys have something to look forward to. So thanks again for joining us today. And thanks for listening. Go Cubs.